0: Welcome to Show Your Scars with me, Jordan Angeli. Using my experience as a former professional athlete, I will take you inside the journey back from a devastating injury. Although we may not choose for this to happen to us, we appreciate who we become in the process. Now, let's dive into this week's episode as we share our strength and show our scars with pride. what's up show your scars we're back and if you listened to last week's episode you met bruce and man this is a guy with a lot of energy you can just sense that he feels all these emotions right that he feels everything that he's talking about he remembers them so vividly so i hope you guys like the first part of his story but you're gonna probably like this part even better the way that he got through and um The mentality he had when he was playing to push through injury, I think, is really relatable. But then what he went through after playing and the lessons he learned as far as what it maybe would have been if he wouldn't have pushed through, if he would have listened to his body. Of course, when you're after the fact, you look back and said you wouldn't have changed anything. And Bruce says that. But I think what helps is when listening to these things, you learn from people who have been through it, that maybe it's not necessary that listening to your body is key. And it's something that you might learn after you've been through a great deal. So you're going to learn a lot through about Bruce and through his story right now. I hope you guys enjoy this as Bruce continues his story in the NFL and then life afterwards. Here he is.
1: we yeah. will get drafted he was like i promise you third round you're gonna get drafted and it's gonna be a wonderful thing for you mm-hmm. right so i'm thinking all right so after that first day you know i was with a couple of my other buddies who didn't end up getting drafted on that first day either and you know we ended up kind of hanging out together having a, a you know a little i'm not even gonna call it a party it was a gathering yeah um you know a bunch of friends you know we're just kind of hanging out and we ended up being up all night just kind of talking about football talking about you know what our expectations were how we were going to feel about it and, you know the whole nine so we all you know we're up till probably like two three in the morning and i fall asleep i fall asleep on the couch right so uh-huh. i'm laying there and uh luckily i don't know how my phone was on loud okay uh <laughs> and so luckily you know my phone rings and i look up and you know i, I a number that's not saved calls me and i i kind of like still asleep pick up my phone and look at it it's from pittsburgh pennsylvania i'm thinking to myself i said out loud i don't know anybody from pittsburgh and i just kind of put the <laughs> phone down it was still ringing oh, but I, I just kind of put the phone down i was exhausted right and yeah. then one of my boys goes yo it's draft day pick up your phone man. <laughs> and i'm like oh my god and i pick up the phone the voice comes on and they say um this is the, this is the pittsburgh steelers hold for mike tomlin and i'm Ooh. thinking what <laughs> so i go from being wildly disappointed in not being drafted to two seconds from talking to mike tomlin oh right? my gosh yeah so So Coach Tomlin comes on the phone. He goes, "Hey, you know, hey Bruce, how you doing? You know, uh, we've got the 88th pick coming up in the draft, and we're going to take you." He was like, "You know, I really like how you play football, and I think you fit right into this." And I just remember being, first of all, I was dumbfounded I was talking to Mike Tomlin, Mm -hmm, Uh, and second, I was just like, (laughs) "I was just like, yo, it it was hitting me like this is happening now, right?" So, Mm -hmm. you know, it went from being this upset and this very kind of introspective, what could I, what could I have done more, and blah blah blah, to just pure joy. So I'm like, okay, like, thank you coach. I'm, you know, I appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, I spoke to some other, I spoke to the general manager, Kevin Colbert. And then I spoke to, um, you know, a couple other people that were just telling me like, Hey, you know, we're going to get you out here ASAP. You know, we're going to get your flights together, you know, give us all your information, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and then I was in the NFL, like, and it was just the most surreal thing to see yourself on the TV yeah, and them talking about you oh, and, gosh, and what yeah. you've done, and and you know, obviously talking about my pops, and you know, the whole night, and it was just this, it was just like this moment of feeling like all the work that I had put in, it was for this. When you hung up the phone,
0: what was what was your reaction right after you hung up the phone?
1: Everybody was still asleep in the house except for the people that were right next to me. I woke up to the house running. <laughs> oh my God, like, oh, man! I'm a Pittsburgh Steeler. Everybody's like, this, like, ah!" So imagine a bunch of guys and a bunch of friends were just jumping around, and oh you gosh. know everybody was, was so excited. And then obviously, you know, my family called. And, yeah, you know, a bunch of my teammates, you know, called, and you know, it was just, it was just such a, it was just such a great moment of celebration right
0: Mm -hmm, there and not only do you get drafted to the Steelers but um it was a pretty decent year I would say uh you're a part of a Super Bowl winning Pittsburgh Steelers team um gosh does that whole year seem like like I, I don't know sometimes I think back to the things that I accomplished and like the really big things and you're like wow I can't I still can't believe that happened is that one of those things for you too
1: yeah, because you know, I grew up and and you know, I grew up in. My dad had two Super Bowl rings with the Raiders in the '80s, right? right? Like two. Like this is one of the one of the all time great football teams, right? Uh, and so I grew up and and anytime there was like a milestone or a, you know, uh, anything coming up, my dad would be like, yo, you know this is what you're working for cuz he never wore a super bowl ring and, and nor did I he, right so he would break them out on special occasions and like this is what you're working for this mm-hmm. is what the ultimate this is the pinnacle of football right mm-hmm. like and so um you know it was just like being there and going through that season which was a which was a tough season you know you leave college you play 12 13 yeah. games and you go to the NFL you play four preseason Mm-hmm. Sixteen regular season, so you're already at twenty. And if you make the run to the Super Bowl, that's another three games right there. So we and played twenty three games that year. Of the best, of the best. Oh man, like we had to play the Chargers, we had to play the Baltimore Ravens, and those teams were very dangerous AFC mm-hmm. teams, right? Like, mm-hmm. so it was a it was a rough road. But it's like I remember. Getting to the Super Bowl and it was like, yo, like we're there, and you see all the flash bulbs going off, and mm-hmm. you know it's just this. It's like, oh, you're at the Super Bowl. It was the, it was the most yeah. real thing. And I remember after winning the game, Santonio Holmes caught that pass in the corner of the end zone, mm-hmm. and then, you know we finish off the game. I think Lamar Woodley had two sacks back to back. James Harrison earlier in the game, he had the longest interception return in Super Bowl history. Uh, it was just a culmination of. of great football and you know dick lebeau was the defensive coordinator he's a hall of fame guy like it was just it was just an insane insane thing i remember as soon as the game was over my family was there they came down on the field and this you just see this confetti falling and it's this thing that you've only ever experienced on tv and i remember Mm -hmm. my dad was down there on the field and you know it was just this it was just so surreal and it was like yo like this is this is what this is this is the this is the best of the best right here are you so, bawling
0: like gosh i'm like about, about wild, to cry thinking know. about it
1: <laughs> it was i think about it and i see pictures about i actually just i i was at home in, in texas recently and i you know i've been looking for my, you know my my Steelers jersey and you know come to find out i'm in my brother's closet and and uh <laughs> I, I needed a bag and so i'm going through this bag i'm taking this stuff out and i'm like yo dude you've got my UCLA jersey in here. you got two of my Pittsburgh Steelers jerseys in here. I was like, yeah, Yo, you've been hoarding my stuff. He was like, oh, man, I forgot they were in there. I'm like, dude, I've been, I've been looking all over for this. Um, oh, my gosh. But, yeah, it was just like such this – it was just such an awesome yeah. and just surreal thing. And I felt like the best part about it to me was the look on my dad's face mm. because it was like you have joined this elite company. Yeah. Uh, and. We, at the time, that would have been 2009, we were one of seven father and son duos wow. who have ever won Super Bowl ring. That is and so, now That just gives me chills. Long, uh, Howie, Howie Long's son
0: okay. is
1: now, um, he's he's part of that group. Howie and his son are now part of that group, Chris. Mm-hmm. Uh, and cause Howie played with my dad. so Oh, cool. Uh, with the Raiders. So, yeah. you know, now now there's eight of us. But, you know, if you think about that, we're 16 – people out of the seven billion in the world it's yeah. just it's just like this elite company and, and you know now now my dad and i you know as we talk about that kind of stuff it's like you know you, you're in this fraternity now like yeah. super bowl champion yeah. you know what i'm saying like so it was yeah. just it was such an awesome thing and for him to be able to see there and be a huge part of my career and and all the bumps and the bruises that i had in the road to get there it was yeah. just like we both had this moment of of like extreme like pride, yeah. it was like this is the family business, kind of a thing. Yeah. You know?
0: So, one fun question before we get into, um you know, it talks about the next few years and transition out of out of football. But one fun fun question: what what was the best Super Bowl perk that you got?
1: The best Super Bowl perk? Like you got to I mean, get besides per- the ring? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, you get perks, right? So, People are like,
1: here, you get this and this and this. Oh, so here, so here's what it is. So after after the ring ceremony. Uh uh-huh. Uh, so we get our ring. So, you know, after the season, you know, everybody goes home and blah, blah, blah. And then you fly back for your ring ceremony, right? And the ring is gigantic. Yeah, I bet. So we go to the ceremony and, and we all get our and We had a great, I mean, a fabulous time. It was a big party and, you know, the whole nine people's families and you know, a lot of kids. Everybody was there. And so on the way out, I'm flying back to California because I'm out in California. I'm training, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm flying back and I'm going to the Pittsburgh airport. I got my ring on. This is the only time. I, I wore my ring for probably like less than a month
2: yeah
1: right but the first time i get to wear it in public is to the airport on my way back to california so i didn't you know i you know i made a, i made a good amount of money but i'm still like i was the guy that was gonna fly coach, like yeah yeah
2: you know what i
1: mean so i got my <laughs> ticket i'm flying coach. so i get so i get up to the desk to check in right and this is old school like where you had to go to the desk every right. time there was no kiosk so i go up there and, and mind you we're in pittsburgh and the city of oh. pittsburgh such a wonderful city uh great great human beings they love their sports teams they it's a it's a blue collar city they work their butts off Mm -hmm. and they love their hockey uh they they love their football they just love all their sports and it was such a welcoming place to to athletes um so I'm, i'm in the i'm in the airport and i got the ring on and you know obviously they everybody in the city knows who's who like they just know so i get up there and they're like oh you know They look at my name and and then they see the ring,
2: Yeah, right?
1: And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm I'm talking to the ladies at the desk and they're like, oh my God, can I see that? So I take it off, I let them wear it. A bunch of people are taking pictures with the ring on and the whole nine, like, it was like a madhouse at the the airport, like straight up madhouse, right? So I'm like, no, this is kind of cool, right? So they were like, well, so the lady goes, well, how about this? Why don't we bump you? Up to first class, and we'll get you, you know, some some good meal and alcohol vouchers. So I'm like, cool, <laughs> right? Yep. Like, so, you know, I was I was prepared. You know, I paid my my you know my little couple hundred bucks for my for my flight, and I was prepared to you know sit and coach for the you know five and a half uh. hour flight back. Uh, but you know, they were like, no, 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 no. We love our Steelers. Like, sort of like, let us upgrade you. with on us. And I'm like, whoa, right? And so you know, That's nice. After getting that feeling, I kind of I kind of wore it for the next couple of weeks, and, and it was the same thing. Um, You're like, does anybody see time, this? I Can
0: I have a free coffee or a free
1: drink? I mean, it was like <laughs> it was it was so big that I couldn't even put my hands in my pocket. Oh my like, god! So like you had to see it. Like, That's you so were funny. See it no matter what. Good. Like, right? I, love so that. I, I kept wearing it, and then um, you know, once everybody got back uh, for for the uh, for the off season training. Uh, a bunch of the guys that were rookies the previous year and some other guys, some of the older veteran guys, we went out to dinner, right? And so it's probably a group of 10 of us, right? And we're riding high, you know, we've we, you know, we got some of the veterans that are, we're talking about multi, making tens of millions of dollars over the, the, the course of their career. Mm-hmm. So we go out, we eat. We're kind of, you know, we're kind of celebrating the fact that we won a Super Bowl, but we're now all back together and we're getting ready to go to work again. So it was about 10 or 12 of us. And we order a meal at this really nice steakhouse in Pittsburgh and uh, the, i mean the bill had to have been 10,000 dollars mm. easily like mm-hmm. which sounds ridiculous but you know it, it was it was 12 of us nfl and guys wine like, and your we steaks kind of and, yeah and and we and we were we were happy to pay that first of all we were in the city of pittsburgh and it, it was just like this is a good place to spend your money these people support you so much mm-hmm. it's a great time to you know go out and spend your money but there was this couple and i'll never forget that there was a couple in the restaurant sitting right next to us and they knew who we were i mean mm-hmm. some of the stars of our team were there um, so they obviously knew who we were, right? And and we get the bill, and these and these wonderful couple sitting sitting right beside us, they were like, "Don't you guys worry about it. We're going to cover your bill." What? And I, and I was the first one to say, "No, no." I was like, "No, you can't do that." I was like, "It's going to be thousands of dollars. I would yeah. never ask you guys to do that." And I, I kind of made a joke. I was like, "Trust me, we can all pay for it, right?" Yeah. So we all had a good laugh about that, and they were like, "No, you guys don't understand. You're in, you're in Pittsburgh. We." take care of our guys like we want to do this for you guys right so I'm like whoa and they wouldn't take me for an answer they wouldn't let us pay part of it they were like no we're gonna pay it so this this couple um they paid like 10 grand for our meal and we sat there and we had a wonderful conversation with them we took a bunch of pictures we signed autographs for them and it was just like that was that is the epitome of of the city of Pittsburgh right people that really care and and you know it it was you felt like it was more than just the fact that you played football. They cared about your humanity. They mm-hmm. wanted to know about you know your family and and a lot of them you know when a guy comes there they they research you everything about you so they know like they're railing off our stats they're talking about you know our families and where we went to high school and so it was just this such wow. a wonderful thing yeah. but you know winning that Super Bowl kind of you know it gives you the status that you it's kind of unattainable in the other way mm-hmm.
0: right yeah it's cool you know i i just think that's something that people you know everybody watches the super bowl and everybody wants to know like okay this is fun but yeah there's got to be some perks so it's cool to to have a little fun with that and talk about those things and get to see really those the heart of the pittsburgh people too and um as we go to to the rest of your career really it seemed like you know just I had to do my research on you and I had to look you up and I had to make sure like I knew what was, what was up. And the next few years seemed to be a little bit difficult. The next five years of your career, um, you know, how would you describe them if you could in, in a summary?
1: It was a journey. Mm -hmm. Um, so I went, I was in Pittsburgh and so they had a guy by you know James Harrison. They had Lamar Woodley too. We're talking about all pro probable guys, mm-hmm. right? And James's contract was James's contract was coming up, okay. right? And so he he made a fifty million dollar deal, right? So you pay a guy fifty million dollars. Mm. Your the backup is not you know Uh we can't you know the amount that they were going to have to pay me over then over the remainder of my contract was like a couple more million dollars Uh and if you invest 50 million into one player that's a big hit and then you know you're going to have to pay lamar woodley
0: yeah you
1: know troy polamalu's on the team ike taylor's on the team uh james ferrier larry foot taking i mean the whole defense i mean this is one of the most and and i say this to this day this is one of the most phenomenal defensive team teams just period but defensive teams that you could ever hope to put together. And then to have Dick LeBeau as your D coordinator, a Hall of Famer, it's like, it's ridiculous. And so I learned quickly about the business of football. And yeah. it was like, yo, you know, we paid this guy fifty million. we Are we going to pay this guy another two, three million? Nah, yeah. can't do it because they could get somebody for cheaper to do it. And, um, you know, it was really one of those situations where I had to kind of transition from playing D-line to outside linebacker. So it took me a little bit to pick it up. And they just figured, you know what, we've got our guy. So I got released. Mm-hmm. right and so it was the first time I'd ever been cut from a from a football team first time ever and I was in total shock like, Yeah. and um, so so initially like I didn't leave my house after getting cut for probably like four or five days maybe a week and then even when I would leave it would be to go you know so I go from you know working out at the Pittsburgh Steelers facility this world class place and blah blah mm-hmm. blah to you know I, I had to keep myself in shape right yeah. you know there was going to be workouts that came there was going to be you know, visit the teams, you know, and I had to be ready when I got that phone call, right? So the only time I would leave my house is to go to the gym. And I went from, you know, working out at this world-class facility to paying to go to 24-Hour Fitness. And yeah. it was tough, yeah. not because, you know, there's something wrong with 24-Hour Fitness, it's because, you know, in a city like Pittsburgh, which is very small, everybody loves their team, it's like, yo, what are you doing here? Yeah. Like, why are you, you know, what are you doing? And I was like, you know, I had to, I had to explain probably a hundred times or I uh-huh. got released and you know talking about the story behind it which is very tasking like yeah you know, for me I just wanted to I just wanted to do my work and, and be up, and you know be on my way but again it was the city of Pittsburgh is so wonderful that it was like I always felt like if somebody approached me and they took the time to approach me I was going to take the time to engage with them and you know have a real conversation and you know really talk so I did and you know at first it was very rough because it was like you know I had never been in that situation I'd always been you know, one of the best players on whatever team I was on. And, and you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. So, you know, it, it's very taxing When you're young like that, you know, it can really shake your world. I know a lot of athletes go through this and they don't really talk about it. And um, it kind of connects into, you know, what I got into after playing football, which I'm sure we'll get into later, but it was tough. And then, so after about a month, I uh, I got a call from New England Patriots. So I go and I do my physical. I do a workout. It was me and a couple other guys. and I'm sitting there now. I go, Mike Tomlin and Dick LeBeau to Bill Belichick. I'm looking. Bill Belichick is, is standing five feet from me as I'm doing this workout, right? Like, we're talking about the guru. So I, I do the workout. And I was on their draft board, you know, coming out. Uh, but they had, you know, they had me on their board much later. So, you know, he was like, "Oh, you know, we we want to bring you in, and we're going to put you on practice squad." And and you know, the next thing you know, like I'm on practice squad with the New England Patriots. And practice squad, for people who don't know, is like you are not on the active roster. So each team has a practice squad. I think it's the seven guys. You know, you're not getting paid the same salary. You get paid a smaller salary, but you're basically a look team
2: mm-hmm. for the
1: offense, for the defense, the special teams, wherever they need you. And so i kind of thought back when i got there first of all i was like this is a golden opportunity to learn a lot of football from some of the greats right i'm looking at tom brady across the line like you know i'm looking at all these logan Mankins, uh, matt light you know these guys are these guys are awesome football players right so i'm thinking all right my mentality was kind of back to you know that first experience i had with dwayne walker it was like yo, i've got to prove my value here yeah and uh luckily i had a i had a buddy of mine thomas williams who went to sc who ended up there too we had similar situations uh and so he ended up there on practice squad too so having him there really super helped me out you know yeah. we both went to california colleges you know we we were you know both kind of out of sorts with with where we were in our career and so we kind of used each other to you know to, again keep each other accountable to work hard to study hard to just you know really plant our feet in the ground and be where we were so um you know i was on practice squad for that year and it was a wonderful experience like i learned so much football in that year that i was at the patriots it's incredible and yeah. um you know the highlight of my time there I, I picked off tom brady in practice which was great
0: heck yeah uh, i like that being a broncos fan i like that a lot
1: yeah <laughs> so i you know i you know and i, and I played really well and they and yeah. they took notice of it and they, yeah. you know and they were like, yo, you, you know, we see that you're working very hard, you're doing everything that we ask of you and you know, just mm-hmm. stay ready. Cause you know, with the Patriots, it's like, if somebody goes down, it's the next guy up, Yeah, right? Next guy up, next guy up, next guy up. So, you know, I was just like, cool. And then the draft comes around the next year, they draft a guy that played my position. And so I was, you know, you get called up into the office and they're telling you they're gonna release you. But I had a, I had a very strange experience and it was it was wonderful. Um, Bill comes up there I, I go up to the office and, and Bill's sitting there and Nick Casario who's their acting GM they're like look we just drafted this kid and you know he's going to get every opportunity to play before you will because we've just paid this guy a lot of money to be huh. right and I'm thinking I'm thinking you know what I respect this because you're being truthful to me you guys welcomed me into your organization and, and you guys taught me a lot of football. They taught you know, I really learned how to be a professional yeah. from my year with the New England Patriots. So I, I got so much value out of being there. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, look, Bill, Bill looked me in the face. He was like, you could stay here and it will be an uphill battle for you. And he was like, I'm sure you would, you would be okay. And you could, you know, you could make this team and the whole nine, but he was like, look, the deal is he's going to get every opportunity and it probably will be a better scenario for you if you go elsewhere. And he was like, look, I don't want you to worry about it. We have coaches all over the league. He was like, if you need something on my end to help you get to another team, you just let me know. Wow, that's and incredible. He looked, he, him and Nick Casario both looked me in the eyes, and they shook my hand like a man. And I thanked them for you know seeing something in me to bring them into their team. And I said, look, Coach, whatever you can do, you know, to get me, you know, on another roster, I, I will greatly appreciate. And, and he did that. He kept his word. And a lot of people, you know, they kind of see Bill as this very cold, very, you know, kind of bland kind of a guy, but he's a brilliant guy and, and you know, he loves the game of football and, and he does what he says he's going to do. So, yeah. that's cool. Felt so much different about it now, right? I had a new set of tools that I learned from being in New England and the whole nine. So, um, you know, I, I it wasn't like the first time. I wasn't depressed. I wasn't you know trapping myself in my house and avoiding, you know, going out. Yeah. So from there, um, Josh McDaniels, who was who had coached on the Patriots previously, was in the, was in Denver with the Broncos. So yep. I get a call from the Denver Broncos like four or five days later, and then I, you know I'm on my way out to Denver. Right, so I go out to Denver um had a super cool experience i know that's your team and i know my raider nation faithful will be like oh denver you know they're still kind of like yeah whatever
0: exactly Um, that's what you gotta love about it
1: i got out there Yeah, you got to Uh, i got out there and and denver was uh, you know i enjoyed my time there i was only there for a couple months part of this off season um and again it ended up being a situation where i was going to have more opportunities to play elsewhere so now, i'm there for part of an off season i go to the san francisco 49ers all this so i went from pittsburgh to new england to denver to the san francisco 49ers all within a matter of like four months wow. right so i was living out of a suitcase i was like i had i had learned how to pack every one of my essentials that i needed in the two suitcases i think i could have you know i had a moving service i would call the moving service you know, I had a list of all my stuff. I told him, you know, how to wrap it up, where to send it, you know, mm-hmm. I had to get my car sent out, ASAP. And I had gotten it down to where I could I could be out of an apartment, out of a city, and on my way to a new team within like three hours. Jeez. And the yeah, crazy and, things and we learn, the crazy mister, skills
0: I'm... we have as professional athletes. Right.
1: And, <laughs> It was just, it was just, it was just, and, and to me, it, at first it was a depressing thing, but then to me it was like, yo, I've got another opportunity to kind yeah. to go to work. Let's, let's, you know, let's cut all our ties. Let's get out of our lease. Let's, let's call the movers and let's pack up and let's get out of here. And I had gotten that down to a science because, you know, I had to do it four times a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, long story short, I end up in San Francisco, right? So I get to San Francisco. I'm, you know, I'm in a 34 defense, which I love. I'm playing outside linebacker. And this is a place, again, where I felt like I was in the right place. So I get there in that preseason, uh, I'm there the whole preseason. I mean, it was the, it was the, I mean, I played great football. Uh, So much so that Mike Singletary even said so, you know, after the last preseason game, I think I had, I don't know, I had like four or five sacks, a bunch of tackles, a bunch of pass breakups. Um, You know, I was, I was playing great football to the point where, you know, people were noticing. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, again, uh, they had some guys that they paid a lot of money to, so I ended up on practice squad. Now I was I was upset, but I was like, you know what, this is another opportunity. I put some great stuff on tape and I know thirty one other teams can see that. Mm-hmm. Like that's your yeah. that's your resume right there, right? So right. I'm on their practice squad for a couple of weeks and then my phone rings. Right? And normally when you get picked up by a new team, your agent will be the first one to call you. Yeah. Right. But this time I was going to the Raiders. Mind you, my dad played for the Raiders for Nine, ten years, one, mm-hmm. two Super Bowls. Like mm-hmm. we still had a lot of family connections over there, uh, and I knew a lot of the people that worked in that organization. Like I kind of grew up, you know, as, as a as a very young child, I was in that facility. Like I, and and they had a lot of the same people still there. So my phone rings with an Oakland number, and uh, you know, normally when they call you, it's like a you know, uh, a quality control person, a, you know, offensive or defensive assistant. That calls you and says, "Hey, we're we're going to take you. And we're going to put you on our active roster." No, that wasn't the case. Al Davis called my phone, <laughs> and okay, and and you know, people had a lot of misconceptions about Al too. He was, you know, he was old, and we could, you know, his health was in decline. But he was one of the smartest people I've ever met. in My yeah, it's just life. crazy Very that sharp. they went, went straight the to him. To yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But he was, he was. Such a sharp guy, he calls me and he says, "Hey, little Bruce, because my, you know, my dad's name is Bruce. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm Bruce the second. So he goes, "Hey, he goes, hey, little Bruce, we saw that you were available, and he was like, I want to take you.'" And he says to me, "I made the mistake of not drafting you when you came out, but you know, I saw that you were available and you had a great preseason. I'm gonna take you." So he was like, "Come on over." He was like, "Just drive on over that Bay Bridge, and you'll be right there in Oakland." So, again, you know, and I had just gotten into an apartment, you know, nice little place, and uh, again, like that day, I broke my lease. Yeah, you know, I paid my little penalty for breaking the lease. I called the movers. Uh, I, I had an SUV. I had an escalator at the time. I packed up as much as I could in that escalator in two hours. I was driving over that bridge. And right. I was I drove over the Brave there and I was right there in Oakland. He was like, we're putting you on this active roster. You got to be ready to play today. Okay. And So I ended up in Oakland. That was that was where the last two years of my career were. And mm-hmm. I ended up playing and, and I had the best stretch of my career
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and then I and then that's when those injuries started to pile up. I hurt my shoulder and my neck, hurt my back,
2: mm. you know, hurt my
1: knee, but you know, I, I was beginning to see the writing on the wall and I was like, yo, this this is my last effort. And I was, you know, I was tired of moving around. So I was yeah. like, this is going to be my last, basically my last stop right here. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I gave it my all with Oakland. I played majority special team, played a little bit of defense, but, you know, I loved it. Like being – I grew up – there's pictures of me as a kid in a little Raiders jersey and, you know, wearing my dad's cleats and having my dad's helmet on. And so I grew up a diehard Raiders fan. So for me to be there in the same place that my dad was, in the same, you know, in that same building, on that same field, to me it was just so awesome. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Wearing that black jersey, it was like – you know the Pittsburgh Steelers are special. The New England Patriots are special. But you know, if you know the Raiders, it's like yeah. the silver and black, and and you know the wearing that jersey is just like
2: mm-hmm.
1: it, it has a, it carries a different kind of status. I remember uh, the first time I put it on, we were playing we were playing the 49ers, actually, and uh, that's ironic. put that jersey on. I, was, <laughs> I know, right? I was just like this is it like this is what all this has been for for mm. me to sit here and be in this building and to feel this and the and to walk on the same blades of grass that my dad walked on you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying like that was it like yeah. that was the best part of my career for me and you know the fact that I, I had all those injuries and all that stuff and it ended there like I'm, I'm okay with that because yeah. I gave five years of everything I had and you know I let the chips fall where they may and you know I have no regrets about it you know do I wish things may have gone a little differently yeah but you know at the end of the day I got to live this dream and and you know to to basically finish up with the Oakland Raiders and where my dad played was just it was just amazing and and you know it hurt leaving and and you know it took me about a year to realize like this is the end for me but you know again I didn't have any regrets and
0: yeah, you know, and
1: I, you know, I got my bumps and my bruises, and I was out of
0: it. Yeah, and it, it, you know, things and things always have to end, right? And they're going to end whether we like it or not. And for you, I think it is really special, and you have felt how special it is that you got to end at a place that was so meaningful to you. And, um, you know, I think really the ending taught you so much about the transition and what was going to happen next. And now I really want to dig into like, you mentioned injuries. So um, maybe just list the things that you left the NFL with and then, because right, right now you're just finishing up an ACL injury rehabilitation. Is that a lingering injury that you had from the, when you were playing or is that something new?
1: Well, I mean, it, it was just a, it was a matter of wear and tear over that time that I had a kind of an acute injury while I was in Oakland. I played through it because again, I, I you know, I knew this was going to be my last thought pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I had, so I, I suffered some brain trauma stuff as well. You know, the wow. concussion thing,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: I was pretty severely affected by that, which didn't really show itself until, until like a couple of years later. But, you know, I knew eventually I was going to have to have knee surgery. I was going to have to get my shoulder fixed. I, my shoulder is what really did it. That, mm. was, the, that was, the, was the nail in the coffin as far as injuries go. I knew when it happened that I'd never be the same. And I had a conversation with my dad. He had so many injuries as well. He was like, look, he was like, you have to listen to yourself. You have to listen to your body. And when you feel like you can't, play the game the way that you need to to respect the game of football anymore you've got to go right And we had that conversation when i was a kid and then and he reiterated that after you know i called him i was crying i was like yo man like i don't know how much more of this i can take and he was like he was like you he was like you know my scars and you you know what i've been doing he you know we just kind of talked and he really kind of guided me through that process and yeah. um you know it was just, it was just tough because you know you know you're going to have some sort of injuries right you know the wear and tear is going to happen right like it just is what it is the orthopedic stuff at least but with the brain trauma stuff you know i know you guys you know a lot of people have seen the movie concussion they know about you know the whole situation and how it unfolded there how the nfl had information on this brain trauma stuff and and they actively were trying to suppress that information from us and you know i was ready for the orthopedic stuff i wasn't ready for that because i wasn't really aware of it right right it was just this thing it was like you know, I grew up, my dad had a bunch of knee surgeries. You know, he had a cane at one point. You know, I just knew, like, he was like, yo, this is what you're getting yourself into. And I accepted that. And I said, I told him I can deal with it. So, fine. But, you know, after I left the league, it was like the first thing that started about my shoulder. Like, my, so it was like, I, I, I like really just blew up everything in my shoulder. Uh, I damaged the nerves in my neck all the way, going up all the way to the back of my neck. Um, I tore my rotator cuff. I tore my labrum. My AC joint was severely damaged. There was arthritis and stuff in there from uh-huh. you know playing through the pain. I was I was taking pain injections to be able to play on Sundays. Uh-huh. Um, but you know all that stuff just started catching up. And so with my shoulder, I knew that was going to have to be the first thing because my arm started going dead at random times, so like uh-huh. totally numb from my from basically the side of the right side of my neck all the way down to the tip of my middle finger. Like it would just go numb and my arm, I couldn't use it. Uh, and so I was like, I was terrified. I was like, am I, is my arm going to work the same? And so that was, um, you know, that was tough. And I, but wait, the first surgery I had was my back because I shattered two of my discs in my lower back. Goodness. Um, and so, the same thing with my shoulder there like my right leg started going numb like i was walking one day and i fell over and i'm like yo what the hell just happened?" did i trip and i try to get up and my leg is numb Huh. right all the way down to my feet like my i'm i'm literally holding on to my pant leg and as i'm having to step forward with my right leg i'm literally having to hold my pant leg and pick up my leg to walk forward so i went and, and the first surgery i had was back surgery they had to go do um thought it was going to be micro discectomies but it ended up being dual laminectomies on l4 and l5 Mm -hmm. so a laminectomy is basically where they go in there and they drill out part of the vertebrae they have to take out all the shattered pieces of your disc they have to basically smooth out all the other stuff and then they sew you back up that was tough i was in the bed for seven months
2: wow literally seven months
1: i was i was doing rehab and stuff but beyond that like it was like it was it was hard for me to go to the bathroom uh my girlfriend who was been with me through all this who's been absolutely wonderful um she had to help me go to the bathroom she had to help me shower put shoes and socks on I mean the things that we just take for granted every day like she was having to help me with like I was in so much pain that sometimes I couldn't even roll over in the bed
0: how'd you get through I mean the the pain in the rehab is one thing right but like the mentality and the mental side of not being able to get out of a bed and do things on your own how did you deal with that
1: It was tough, And that was really the first time I was faced with, uh, you know, having to deal with some mental health issues. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, with with athletes, as tough and as strong as an athletic as people are, like when your body starts to break down, you have an identity crisis immediately.
2: Mm -hmm. Right? It's like Mm -hmm. this very,
1: it's a very scary thing where everything that you've connected yourself to that has been a huge part of your identity is now failing on you. And so I was severely, severely depressed for, you know, like almost two, three years. And it started with that back surgery. And I was, it was like feeling how fragile I was for the first time ever. Hmm. And so I, you know, a lot of me getting through that was my girlfriend, like basically seeing her there every day, my family, talking to my family all the time and, you know, you know, leaning on my mom and my dad and my little brother and my sister and, and, you know, my close friends around me, like, it was tough. Like, it was super, super tough. And so, got through that and that kind of lingered for about a year and a half. But then, you know, I didn't have time to wait because my, you know, then my shoulder kicked in and it started,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: acting up. My arm was going numb. My neck was, you know, going numb. And it was very, that was, that was probably one of the scariest. And so, uh, I had that surgery and, and, you know, I did all the MRIs and the x-rays and they were, they gave me the rundown and they were like, you are really messed up here. We've basically got to reconstruct your entire shoulder. Yikes. And so that's what they did. And to this day, I can't really lift my arm over my head. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, yeah. you know, it's one of those things that, you know, that part I'm willing to deal with.
2: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: I knew what I was getting myself into. Like, I, I like, I like the physical contact. I like to pop pads and hit. Like, so you know, it just kind of was what it was. So that was a tough recovery because I'm right-handed and my right hand was, you know, my right arm was basically useless. So, you know, I had to learn to do a lot of things with my left hand, um, in the early going before I really started my rehab process. And, and I do rehab in Huntington beach at the pro sports Institute with, uh, Dr. Richard Liebel. And he is, he was just a godsend for me. And, uh-huh. um, you know, pro sports is like my home. I still, I'm still there all the time, even though I've, hopefully had my last surgery I, i'm still there all the time with you know the continued care aspect of it and you know he calls me all the time we've developed such a wonderful relationship but um so he got me through a lot of this and as we you know we kind of touched on the mental health stuff he was a big part of me getting out of my slump uh. you know he knows this stuff and he believed in me he was like you know i remember the first time i went in there i was just crying because i, I was wildly depressed and i was just devastated and i couldn't i wasn't looking at it in the one-day-at-a-time mindset, Mm -hmm. I was looking at this as a whole, and it was very overwhelming. And I was like, I mean, am I ever going to be able to use my arm? Am I going to, you know, what if I have kids? Am I going to be able to play, you know, know, play around with my kids and pick them up even? And it was just, and he was like, look, I promise you, trust me, we'll get you through this. And so, you know, that was like another six-month process, right? And then I had, then we got to the knee surgery, Mm -hmm. right? So So I had three knee surgeries. So the first time it was my meniscus. Okay. Um, you know, which is fairly standard. But when they went in there, they were like, yo, there's some damage to your ACL. Mm. You're going to eventually have to get this fixed. Right. And it wasn't it was torn. And, and, yeah. and apparently it had been torn. He was like, with the amount of scar tissue that you have on there. Um, for a long he was time. Like, it's been like this for a while. He was like, you were probably playing with a partially torn ACL with the severity of the scar tissue in there when he went in there with the scope. So I'm like, OK. So I was just like, let me just get this meniscus right. Because, you know, you knee clicks and your leg gives out yeah. and fall over. You know what right. it is. So I, and so I had to get that fixed, right? And then and then my LCL started breaking down, uh, and it was causing my leg to rotate in this really strange way. And it tore my meniscus again, and then I had to have my LCL uh, fixed. But along with that, I had I had a, a bone spur that was kind of shaped like a bird's beak and that was on the uh the medial side of of my left knee so Ow. i had to get that taken out and the lcl was tough cuz what they do is they cut you open and they don't they don't cut it out you need it right so what yeah. they do is they fold it over itself to tighten it and then they sew it together mm. right so that was tough um and there was some pain involved with that but the worst part of the pain was that bone spur that they removed i mm. mean it was like it was like almost 3 quarters of an inch long and i had just been running around with it and so Ooh. You know i i you know the orthopedic surgeries are, are tough but you know when you have something to you know that involves you know cutting bone uh bone bleeds a lot when you have to cut it or shave it down or whatever uh, and it was to that point it was the most painful thing i had ever experienced mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. so i was just devastated like
2: yeah. it
1: was it was miserable Right. And so, you know, I finally got through that. Right. And that was, again, another like six months. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm 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 racking up my my, my frequent flyer mileage here in, in, in rehab. Right. Yeah. I, They're I like your bed's became, in the like,
0: back. Your bed's in the back. You might yeah, as well they were not like, leave.
1: They're like, yo, you want like, yo, you want to stay here or what? Like, <laughs> you know, so uh, so that was kind of our running joke and still is. And, and, you know, but that staff has been so incredible. And again, with the mental health side of things, they made sure that my confidence stayed up that, know we mapped out our plan and we stuck to our plan and every day we just chipped away so fast forward to march of 2018 uh i'm walking a dog i have a service dog named zeus uh Mm -hmm. and i have him because of the brain trauma stuff that i experienced And, Mm -hmm. and um so i'm out with him we're at the park i'm i'm taking him out and i'm just walking right i'm and, you know, I knew I had issue with my ACL. So from time to time, I'd wear a little brace just to, you know, be careful. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I didn't have my little, my little brace on, my little leg sleeve. So I'm walking at the park and I hit like a little divot. I hear yeah. a pop, bang. I said, I, and, and my girlfriend was like, right I said, I just tore my, my, I just completely tore my ACL. I said, it was partially torn. <laughs> I just completely tore it. I said, I know it. She was like, she was like, no, you maybe, maybe you just strain it. I was like, no, no, no. I said, the thing is gone. Yeah. So what do I do? I, I you know I called Dr. Liebel I said hey man like I think I just tore my ACL and he goes oh no right so he was like all right so he called it he called the imaging center he was like all right you got an appointment like I, I literally had an appointment later that day he's such wow. an awesome guy he yeah. set me up and I was in there later that day uh and you know I go I do the MRI and you know lo and behold my ACL is completely torn
2: Wow. and
1: again it was the, the wear and tail of playing and you know, not knowing that it was hurt and continuing going and I'm sure, you know, stacking all those other surgeries, but yeah. It had been partially torn for a long time and, and, you know, it just this was the time that it just couldn't take anymore. So uh I had to have the surgery again. So March I have the I have the surgery, um, but, you know, I was 30, 32 years old at the time. Mm-hmm. And so um you know, if you're 17, 18, you know, they just, you know, they'll take a little bit of your patella or maybe your hamstring and they'll put it back together. But I, my ACL was so damaged that there was no saving it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So they removed, they removed my ACL. Yep. And I, I now have a Kevlar ACL and I have two screws. Um, I have two screws in my leg. Okay. One, one above and one below. Yep. And the screws are both Kevlar as well. And, and this time, uh, since my rehab facility is in, in Huntington Beach, which is about 40 minutes away from me, uh, he he booked me a hotel that you know, was right there. So I had surgery at a surgery center, mm-hmm. and on that same lot was my rehab facility, and right next door to that was a you know four-star hotel where he set me up in. So the first two three weeks of my recovery, all I had to do was go, really walk 20 yards, and I was right there in his facility. So. You know, the first day goes by, and and you know, I was I was kind of disheartened because you know this was my fifth surgery. Yeah, yeah, this is my fifth surgery in three years. So, you know, I I, I was very overwhelmed, and I felt that depression creeping back in. And it was like, yo, when is this going to end, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the first day after surgery, you're very drugged up. You sleep yeah. most of the day. The second day, you're you know, like, this you're isn't still, so bad. You know, I, I, and then you're like, am like, oh, yeah, this ain't bad. Like, crap. you know. And then I didn't realize that they had put a, a pain block in my knee that was yeah. gonna last basically two days, 30, 36 hours or so. Mm-hmm. So that first two days block. I was like, This is nothing. Right? So that third day, that pain set in and again they had I have screws in the bone. The screws are in the bone, but like yeah. you can see yep. You can see where the screws are you know, if I have shorts on, right? Um and so my knee looks like Frankenstein's knee does and this pain kicks in and my mom and my sister were there, and my girlfriend was there. I you know, of course I had my dog there with me and um i just they're all there and and you know they're sleeping on the couch and i wake up and it's probably like five in the morning i'm just scream, i'm in agony i'm yeah. talking pure agony and i would taken the pain meds the night before because i knew it was going to wear off you know eventually so they were like you know start taking the pain meds just in a low dosage just so you you know so when pain does come it's, it's more manageable it wasn't manageable I was in so much pain. I could feel the screws where they were in my leg. I could feel all of the effects of the surgery. And I, I literally was crying in, in my mom and my sister and my girlfriend's arms. Uh, <sighs> and, you know, so we called Dr. Lebel. I was like, yo, man, like, I'm in so much pain. Like, I need help. So he, he drops what he was doing. He runs over there. Another one of the therapists runs over there with him. And they basically had to carry me over to his facility. And, you know, they, <sighs> they iced me up and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was just it was, that was a new worst pain that I had ever felt. Right. (laughs) Right. Like, right. And so, um, you know, but there was no time, you you know, to really continue to cry about it because the way we do it is, you know, we start, we start rehab immediately. Yeah. So after that initial day of pain, I mean, we didn't do anything that day because I was in too much pain, but that next day, um, we were, we were bending my leg and we got it to 90 degrees and it was, it was absolute hell. But, you know, we fought through it and we got there and and we just kept plugging away at the process for another, you know, four or five months. And, and, um, you know, eventually I got better, but, you know, I had back surgery. was the first surgery I had, um, when retiring from the NFL. But, you know, I think the trauma of my knee and, you know, you know, limping around and having that injury be so acute, it started to aggravate my lower back again. So
0: man bruce March,
1: i had the knee surgery i it was just it's just such a nightmare sometimes people don't even believe me when i tell them uh oh i believe so... you because
0: i one of the things i tell people all the time is <clears throat> excuse me is you it's so key to try to get back to walking normally as quickly as you can because you don't understand how much pressure that puts on your other leg and on your back and on everything else and your whole kinetic mm-hmm. chain messes up right and this is a good example of that that because of the acute trauma that you had before and the pressure of this injury recovery that it aggravated your, your back again.
1: Right. So that's what happened. And and it was towards the end of my, my rehab. And, you know, I got a, a, like a very sharp pain, something that was familiar to me. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, here we go again. So I told Dr. Liebel again, I was like, Oh, I need to get an MRI, man. And, And so we got the MRI again that same day. And I get it back, and they're like, "Yeah, you got the back of a 55 year old man," uh, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" So, you know, I was like, "So what's my options here?" They were like, "Yo, we could do a laminectomy or a microdiscectomy, but this this problem is going to happen to you again. If you just get the discectomy, it's going to happen again. So you need spinal fusion." I'm now I, at the time I'm this is August, so I am I'm a month away from my 33rd birthday, uh. and we're sitting here talking about having spinal, spinal fusion. fusion. So you got yeah. two options when you do spinal fusion. Right? So you can either get the hardware in where they put, you know, screws and plates in and basically screw your lower back together so it's immobilized, but they have to go into through the through your back and then they have to go in through your abdomen to loop around the, you mm. know, basically the fastener to the to all that hardware. Yeah. He was like, "Yo, like he was like if you were 65 years old, I would suggest this, but he was like you're not." Yeah. So I saw three different doctors and I and I ended up having the surgery with the, neuro, the the neurosurgeon who uh, handles my brain health. Who's just such a wonderful doctor, uh, Dr. Amir Volsher. He's you know I, who I, he's one of the foremost neurosurgeons in the world. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful man. So he was like, I've got a different option for you, right? He goes, We can do a natural spinal fusion where we take bone marrow from your hip uh, and we use that. We spin it up in the machine and yeah. we basically use that as a as, as glue.
0: Yeah, pretty
1: much to f- to fuse your spine so i was like yo sounds good to me let's do it mm-hmm. so i go in. i have the surgery uh everything goes well and you know as bad as my knee hurt i reached a new pain threshold so the back surgery wasn't quite as bad this time right mm-hmm. but um so you know after about a week it starts hurting and i develop major major swelling i mean like the size of a tennis ball on my back right right it, it, it's the incision site yeah and so I go into a couple of exams to his office, to Dr. Volcker's office. And, and I'm like, yo, I, you know, something doesn't feel right. He was like, give it a few more days. This, you know, this can happen sometimes. You know, we can we can try to aspirate it and get some of the fluid out and see what happens. So we aspirated it right there, which is basically, you know, small cut. Get some of that fluid out of there, which felt great. Got a lot of the pressure out of there. Uh, but then it started hurting again in, in a really bad way. So I was like, yo, like, I, I think something's wrong. And he was actually... Uh, he had just gone up to San Francisco for something, and he was like, "Yo, if you if you need anything, or the pain increases, or you feel you don't feel well, call me, uh, and and we'll figure it out." So I called him, and I was like, "Yo, doc, something's wrong here. Like, uh, you know, I I I know something's messed up here. It doesn't feel right." And he was like, "Okay," he literally, right then he goes, "I want you." And I I've had a bunch of my surgeries at Providence St. John Hospital over in Santa Monica, because he work he does a lot of work out of there. Um, so he calls Providence St. John, and he was like, go over there right now. By the time you get there, they'll be expecting you. You know, I didn't have to wait in the ER. I walked in and they were like, Mr. Davis. And I was like, yeah, they're like, if we got a room ready for you. We're going to prep you for surgery. And as soon as Dr. Volcher gets here, we'll get you into surgery. So wow. he, he was in San Francisco. She flew in down. LA, so he was in San Francisco. He didn't fly. He just, cause he had driven up there. Oh, he stopped what he was doing. I think there was some kind of like medical conference or something. He stopped what he was doing and left immediately. Got in his car as soon as I called him and he drove back down the five freeway. And, you know, so I was in the hospital and they hooked me up to, you know, the pain medication. So I was feeling okay. And I got back down there. So what happened was, you know, I ended up having an infection and, you know, there was a little piece of something that had chipped off. that was floating around there, causing a lot of pain, pushing into my nerves. So, they Had to go in there, take that out, and then they had to just—they cleaned up the surgery site,
2: uh-huh. and they had
1: to—they had to surgically implant uh, a drain, a drain uh-huh. pipe in my back, to make sure all that food was going out because <sighs> you know of, of the infection okay. that I yeah. had developed, and and uh, so I, I developed strep strep B, which is like which is like strep throat's evil twin. You yeah, know what I mean? Right. Like just, it can happen anywhere in, anywhere in your body, right? So, um, you know, I had the second surgery a week and a half later. It was actually like a day after my 33rd birthday, I think. Um, and, you know, I ended up staying in the hospital for, you know, like four or five days. And, you know, I was fine the first couple of days, but then I just hate being in the hospital, right? Yeah. And there was, you know, it, it, it's just tough because I was in a, in a wing of the hospital where, you know, there was a guy who had gotten in a really bad car, a motorcycle accident. You know, he had a, his leg was crushed. So they had that, you know, they had to put his leg back together. Everybody was just in pain. Yeah, uh, I was in a lot with. of pain. I was in a lot of discomfort. And it was just it was very overwhelming. You know, so, you know, finally, I got out of there. I had lost about 20 pounds. Um, I was skin and bones. And, you know, and again, I called Dr. Liebel. I was like, oh, man, we got more work to do. And, you know now i'm now i'm back to you know feeling some semblance of, of yeah. normality but yeah know, that's seven surgeries in three and a half years i mean it really took its toll and and uh, especially with the acl like it's tough like i go my whole football career i played football 20 years of my life don't tear my acl and then you know well didn't know that i tore my acl and then you know i i, I tear my acl walking my dog it was just a very disheartening thing and um, but you know what that part of it made me a lot stronger than I thought I was capable of. I was you... in yeah. a ton of pain. I uh. was in just such a, a tremendous amount of pain and you know, A C L was one of those injuries where it's like you hear A C L and the first thing people say is, Ooh, oh, man, yeah. sorry, that sucks. And you know, you you play sports long enough you, you get to know a lot of people that have had the same injury and, you know, for me to have it in the condition that the rest of my body was already in super tough and you know and then the, and then it led to the stuff with my back and having to have another surgery so it was just a very like ACL was probably the toughest of, of the you know recoveries that I had to go through just because it's like having to learn how to walk again so yeah you know it, yeah. It, you know, you feel like a child
0: yeah it's really humbling it's really really humbling and it allows you to reevaluate how much we really are dependent on other people and it's okay to be dependent on other people because I think as athletes and um, this is the last thing I want to talk to you about is just the mental health aspect of it because I know you're doing a lot of stuff in mental health now and it is just you know we're taught as athletes that we need to fight through things we need to be strong we need to you know walk it off or there's no crying in baseball right like all those things and um, when we are then faced with these times where our body breaks down and we feel like a failure then we start to feel these emotions that we have uh, learned how to suppress really really well and it's hard to work through them how do you how do you cope with all those or what did you start to learn about yourself during the process of these injuries
1: I mean I, I just learned that mental health is a very slippery slope right I was severely depressed um Again, like you connect your identity and who you are with your sport because you've done it for so long. And it just kind of naturally happens. And, you know, it, and one day your sport is inevitably going to end, whether you play 20 years or whether you play two minutes of whatever sports you're going to play. It, it ends eventually. And, you know, you know that's going to happen, but it's a different thing when you're when you're feeling that in your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was I was super depressed. Um, all the surgeries I was having, I was taking a lot of pain medication. And at one point got hooked on that and that just was aiding the deterioration of my mental health. And, um, you know, it was just, it was a very tough time. Like, uh, and that paired with the, with the brain trauma stuff that I had was just, it was so severe. Like, so I found out I had brain trauma. This was like shortly, uh, shortly before I had my first back surgery I was, uh, I was at my godbrother's house. We were were up there, we were watching a movie or something. I get up to go to the bathroom and I get in the bathroom and I close the door and I start to black out. So I'm standing up at this time and this is a tile floor. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: I'm standing up at the time and I feel myself starting to, to black out. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, in my head, I'm like, Oh God, like just don't fall forward. So I tried to lean back and catch myself on the sink. Okay. But I did, I ended up, I ended up, you know, blacking out, falling forward. And then I woke up because like my body was like twitching or whatever on the floor. It was hitting, it was hitting like um, this little shelf that we had in there in the bathroom. And my godbrother comes in there. He was like, yo, what happened? And you know, I wake up, I'm on the floor. Uh, I had knocked out my front teeth from hitting the tile. I had a, I had like a golf ball size, knot on my head. And, uh, you know, my, my, I, you know, my teeth that I broke with, you know, cut through my lip, I was bleeding. I mean, it was a nightmare and I was terrified because I was like, yo what just happened? And, you know, at the time I was starting to hear about concussions and the effects of concussions and subconcussive hits, which, you know, in football, you basically take every play Mm
2: -hmm. and it had
1: finally caught up to me. And you talking about feeling like you have no control over anything. I mean, I was there. And that's how I got hooked up with uh, Dr. Amir Voucher, who ended up doing all all of my neurosurgery stuff. Uh Um, You know, so I I went and got the MRI. I got the brain mapping done. I got a bunch of different testing done. Uh, And so what they found out was that I have two small uh, cysts in my frontal lobe. And uh, your frontal lobe controls a lot of like your mood, your attitude, stuff like that. And then on top of that, I had uh, what they call perivascular spaces, which is uh, a fancy word for saying you have cracks in your, in your brain in your gray matter. Wow. Uh, and so I had no idea. And again, the thing was that, you know, there had been, and you know, we've heard about the movie concussion we've seen all the specials and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a suppression of this information. So I didn't know what I was battling again, right. you know, not at the severity that it was happening. And, you know, so I go through all this testing and, you know, I find out all these different things and, you know, I was having seizures and blackouts and it was just a, it was just a very crazy time. And, you know, I had, I luckily I had my service dog. I was in the bathtub once.
2: Ugh.
1: Uh, and I had the door, I had the door open and my girlfriend was right in the other room. You know, she's probably 10 feet away from me. And I started to black out in the bathtub. And the last thing I remember thinking is I'm going to die in this, in this bathtub in a, in a foot and a half of water. Cause oh I was, gosh. I felt myself blacking out and I felt myself sliding down into the bathtub. And that was the last thing I remember. And then I could hear, my dog went nuts Mm i mean he went crazy right and he's like he's got his feet in the water he's like trying to wake me (laughs) up baby stop um and uh that hammers up the other one he was just i mean that's the little one bella (laughs) um so he just goes nuts and he doesn't bark very much he's not you know he's not very vocal but you know he knew that i was out like he was doing his job the only reason Mm -hmm. i'm able to sit here and talk to you today is because he caught that and so my girlfriend rushes in, she drains the water out of the bathtub. She, and I'm like 230 pounds at the time. She, she's probably 120. She like lugs me out of the bathroom and it's like waking me up. You know, I went and, you know, went to the hospital You know, shortly after and, you know, and then I started to really like, you know, I, I got with my neurosurgeon again and, and, you know, we got to discuss treatment and options. And so, you know, to this day, um, you know, I have to take medication, you know, I go and I'm actually going to do my full, I do it twice a year. I'm Uh actually, um, next week I'm going to do my full brain and spinal workup, you know, my whole neurological workup again. Uh, and you know, it's, it's a lot of work, but you know, I have to do this to, you know, to live a a functional and healthy life, which to me, I've kind of gotten in the groove. And I, you know, when people find this out for the first time, it's a very shocking thing. But to me, it's like, you know, it, it goes back to the lessons we learn about, you know, consistency and discipline and accountability. I had to be accountable to myself, my family, uh, my girlfriend, everybody around me, my friends. I had to be disciplined in, you know, how I took care of myself and, and you know, all these other things. And, and that really led me into fixing my mental health, mm-hmm. you know, because like you said earlier, like as athletes, we're taught, and especially as male athletes, yeah. there's always been this stigma that, if you're hurt, you're soft. If you uh-huh. go to the trainer, you're soft. If you say, I, I can't do this because X, Y, or Z, that you're soft. If you talk about mental health, you're kind of looked down upon like it's a weak thing. And so for me, I like when I started going through this, I was like, no, no, no. And so I kind of changed what I was doing with my life at the time. And I was like, yo, I'm, I'm going to take this and as horrible as this is, and as much as I hate this, I'm going to make sure I educate as many guys as I can about what's going on. And That's so, amazing. You know, if you look on my social, me- you look on my social media. Like when I go get MRIs, I post it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When I go see a neuro, I post it. If I go to uh, Doctor Voltscher's brain spa, I post it. And you know, off of that, I've had so many guys come to me and say, "Hey, man, like, you know, I saw you posted this, or I saw you posted that. Like, you know, I've been having this issue or that issue or." you know, I had a seizure, I had a blackout. I, you know, I'm, I think I'm going through what you were going through. What can I do? And the most fulfilling part about my life has been not football. It's been helping other people that are suffering from these things, because again, they're in that same boat. A lot of these guys have played football. Uh, and it's like, you know, it's soft to talk about mental health. It's, yeah. it's, it's a weakness to talk about. I, I don't feel okay. And so my thing was, let's change the stigma of, the the stuff surrounding mental health, the stuff surrounding brain trauma and football players. Let's see, let's get to the bottom of some of this. So, you know, and, and I, you know, I always tell guys, I won't, you know, I'll never use your name when, you know, Uh when I talk about it, but I'll I'll just give an example. But I've had guys that are household names call me. I've had players, wives call Uh me and say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm having, you know, my husband, it's not him. It's, you know, something's wrong with him and, and you know, what can I do? And, and my girlfriend's guy has, has also, you know, she's talked to people's wives or girlfriends and said, Hey, this has kind of been my experience. And, you know, you've got to know that, you know, there's, there's more going on and, and, you know, you, you've got to get, you've got to get the help. You've got to, you got to know the signs and you've got to, you know, we're talking about all pro guys. Yeah. You know I mean, we're, we're talking about, again, like I said, household names and, and even guys that have played high school football with me or, people that i've never met before that have been you know avoiding going and getting these questions answered because they're so scared of of what the outcome may be and my what i always tell guys is this it's 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 scary to have a problem but it's scarier to not know what that problem is and how to fix it so let's get a baseline yep right let's let's go see a doctor let's let's get the scary part which is the unknown out of the way Mm -hmm. Let's, let's go and and, and and let's see what's wrong let's get that brain mapping let's get those scans let's get the the EEGs done and, and the brainwave study done and and you know all that kind of stuff because when you have a baseline you can you can work from there mm-hmm. you know you know where you are and then you can build a plan and, and it took me it took me a couple of years to get it and it was a very trying time and I went through a lot I changed a lot there was times where you know, I didn't recognize myself, and I still have issues to, you know, to this very day. Like, I forget stuff all the time. Like, I get up to do something all the time, and I'll forget. Or, you know, I will, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I'll get frustrated because I can't remember something. Or, you know, there's some days that's it's like, I don't want to get out of bed because, my, you know, I don't feel like doing it. I feel run down. I feel tired. Um, but, you know, you just got to kind of push through. And, and what's gotten me through a lot of this has been the fact that I know that there's other people out there that are dealing with yeah. it. And, and, and I'm a people person. Like I don't, I don't want people to suffer. Like, and if there's something I can do to help you, I'm going to do it. So, you know, and another big aspect of that again was go and see a, go and see a therapist, go and see a mental health professional, because no matter what you think, how good you think you are, there, you have an issue going on, right? You have something that can be worked out and, and and that's a hard sell to a lot of guys. I don't need to go see a doctor. I'm fine. I'm not crazy. I, I got a lot of, I, you know, you get a lot of pushback talking about I'm not crazy. It doesn't mean you're crazy when you admit to needing uh-huh. help
2: uh-huh. with your
1: mental health, right? It, it's, it, it's, the, it's the strongest thing that you can do in my opinion to say to reach out to another person, especially if you don't know that person and all you've seen is what they've been through through social media or, or whatever means or word of mouth and to say, look, I need help. And it took me a long time to admit that I needed help. And the worst part about the mental health side of things was, you know, I started having the surgeries and then, you know, I kind of got hooked on these pain pills and my mental health was in shambles. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I avoided my family (sighs) for like a year. Like I talked to my little brother and that was it. He was kind of my go-between between the rest of my family. Like, you know, I was taking all these pills. My mental health was in shambles. My physical health was bad. Like I was blacking out and having seizures. And so I just, you know, I didn't want my, and my big thing was, and it, and it sounds really selfish now as I, as I say it, and, you know, I say the same thing when I talk to guys, like, I didn't want my mom to see me in the state that I was in. Mm. Like, I didn't, That's real. you know what I mean? It was such yeah. a, it was, it was just, it was just such a bad place. I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't let her see me like that. I didn't want her to, to have to visualize that. Yeah. But, you know, we got, we got through it and my mom and I, you know, we, we talk about it now. and. Mm-hmm. I talk to my mom all the time. We've got a family group chat that, that's, you know, <laughs> that has been running for like three or four years. And, and, and another thing, you know, I always encourage athletes, like it's hard to go from being on a team to being solo. Because, right. you know, some of, will, some of your teammates will call you. The ones that are really close to you will call you. They'll check on you. They'll, you know, you guys will get together. But for the most part, it's like you go from being on a team of, you know, the NFL, what is it like, you know, including everybody, it's like 70 people to, to being by yourself. And even when you're still active and you just get cut, well, those guys got to go to practice. They got to get ready for the game. They got to go home to their family. So it's not you don't get to spend as much time with them because right. you're not in that facility. So what I encourage people to do, get a group chat going. I've yeah. got a group chat with five other retired football players. And it has been one of the best things for my development. I couldn't I couldn't have asked for something better, especially with the mental health, because what it does, it keeps you accountable. They keep you accountable. We talk about things like, what are our goals for the year? We do that every year. Um, what do you want to get better at? What do you want to change? What are you doing about your health? What are you doing about your mental health? And we, you know, we, and we, you know, we talk about football. We talk about sports. We talk about all the normal stuff, cars, vacation, what's going on in politics. What are we reading? I mean, we talk about everything, but at the end of the day, I know if I'm having an issue, I can get on the text. And this group chat has been running for like three years now. Uh, and just get on there and be like, yo guys, I'm, I'm feeling like this, this, or this. Uh-huh. And I know anytime, day or night, I can I can call one of them, and they'll come they'll come they'll come and uh, they'll come and help me out. You know, I got a I got a friend Billy Miller who is who is wonderful. I've called him multiple times. You know, not feeling well, feeling depressed, feeling this, feeling that, not knowing where I'm going. Called him crying at two in the morning. He's like, I'm on I'm on my way to come get you. Mm. Right, I'm on my I'm on my way to you right now, and it's just been such a wonderful thing because. Yeah. You know, it's really a it's, it's applicable thing for to everybody people. too, like, yeah. Right, anybody like mm-hmm. get a group and and just you know, but talk and especially for athletes because that's just that's what we've always done, right? Right, you know, especially with team sports, you know, that's that's just what you've done. And yeah, so, that's why you stopped playing you know, tennis and you
0: played awesome. the other sports because you wanted to be around. Exactly. The people.
1: <laughs> yeah, I wanted to be around the guys, right? But uh, you know, that's kind of that's that's what my life has been. Yeah. And, And, and where I'm at and, and, you know, for as long as I continue to draw breath, I'm going to advocate for mental health, for not just athletes, but for everybody, Um, you know, physical health, brain health, like, and, you know, definitely the rehab has been such a big part of, has been such a big part of my life and staying on top of the medical aspects of stuff. So, you know, for me, it's just like, I, now I just want to make sure that, you know, people can learn from the things that I've been through because I've been through a lot and, and it would be selfish for me to not share that information if it's going to help even one person. Yeah. And, the, and the best feeling I have is when guys call me and they're like, hey, thanks, man. Like, that tip you gave me really, really helped out. Or I went to a doctor and got checked out and they said this, this, and this. And, you know, now I kind of have a plan as to, you know, what I want to do and, and how I'm going to handle this. And, and you know, it's just when, when players' wives will call and say, yo, thank you so much. Like, I've got my husband back. Like mm. just saying that makes me almost want to cry right now, yeah. but it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's where I am and it's, it's what I do now. And, and you know, as bad as all this stuff has been, I wouldn't change it because I've been able to reach a lot of people and, and you know, get people on the right track.
0: Bruce, I just, I think that we have like so many similarities in our personality because literally I was going to ask you if you would change it and you just answered that question. And um, when I hear you talk and I hear (laughs) the depth at which this has uh, touched you as a human and you're feeling like I have to make a change, you know, the things that have the greatest impact in this life, are the things that break our hearts and trying to go change that, right? So I just want to acknowledge you. I want Mm -hmm. to acknowledge your girlfriend because the work that you two are doing, and I think that there is going to be a lot more work, and you guys are going to really find – I I don't know what it is, but I just feel like there is something – working within you two that is going to have a lot of impact even greater than what it has right now on a lot of people so i just want to i just want to thank you for being honest and being vulnerable and putting yourself out there because it is it is something that people need to know of because um you know mental health is real so yeah thank you for for all that you're doing
1: well thank you i I mean and again i appreciate you having me on and this has just been so wonderful for me to, you know, yeah. take a trip down memory lane yeah, and, right? and, you know, to talk to, to talk to another athlete who has been through, you know, some of the things that I've been through. And, and, you know, I think it's, I think it's important to bridge the gap between male and female athletes mm-hmm. and how we connect with each other. And, 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 you know, cause everybody, everybody, we're all in the same boat here, right? No yep. matter, no matter, you know, your sexual orientation, male, female, whatever you identify as whatever your religion, your race, your background, it doesn't matter to me. Like, you know, I, I just want to make sure that, you know, everybody's getting, you know, the help and the health and all that stuff that they deserve. So thank you again for giving me an opportunity to, you know, to talk about this stuff and you know, hopefully we can, you know, we can reach some other people. Anybody listening to this, you know, feel free to reach out to me via social media. Uh, all my stuff is B2Davis44. Yes. And I'm going to link all of that. I'm going to link all that so anything, they can talk to stuff. you. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, for, for sure. Any, anything, anything anybody needs, like i right, I like to make myself available uh, to people as much as possible, especially when it comes to, you know, physical health uh, yeah. and mental health, for yeah. sure. Like, uh, use me. I'm, I'm an open book here. You know, <laughs> you feel free to reach out.
0: Um, and then, Bruce, one last thing before I let everybody go on the podcast. The podcast is called Show Your Scars. What do your scars
1: mean to you? My scars really mean to me just, you know, perseverance. Right. Like nobody nobody wants to have a torn ACL or, you know, shattered vertebrae or brain trauma. But it's like I, you know, at first when I, you know, when you first get them, you look at your knee. And I I alluded to this earlier. I'm like, I got this Frankenstein leg and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But now I look down at it and and it's a reminder of every all the hard work that I put in and and the after effects of playing sports. But that even in the darkest times, I can continue moving forward.
0: Mm. And it's
1: just a daily reminder. I look at my scars every day. I touch them. I I physically touch every one of my scar, all the thirty scars I probably have at this point. I touch them every single day, and it's just a reminder. Like, no matter what, like you can get up and keep going.
2: Yeah.
1: You know what I mean? It's just you know it's you know it just it keeps me motivated, and you know it, it it's also a reminder of everything that I've been through. So I love that. You answer. know, I look at them, I touch them every day, and I and and I'm th- I'm thankful that I have them to be totally honest with you. Mm-hmm.
0: Me too. I'm a weirdo too. And I I kiss my knee scars because I think that, you know, without them, I wouldn't have found really what I was supposed to do. So just thank you. I, this has been so great and I can't wait for everybody to hear it.
1: Awesome. Me too. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: Perspective is something that I always talk about in this ACL recovery journey or any kind of injury recovery that there's always things that could be worse and it's really difficult to think about that because we do lose something that means a lot to us. Whatever sport it is, whatever activity it is that you are away from when you're injured, it is difficult and I am not downplaying that one bit. I think it's important to feel that and to acknowledge that. But also there are things that are really difficult in this life and brain injuries are one of them and mental health is one of them. It's one of the reasons why I started the ACL club. It's one of the reasons I started this podcast is because the mental side of injury recovery is not talked about enough. And for Bruce, he had some brain injuries and he has some mental things that he's working through right now. And I think it is so courageous of him and really, it's worthwhile like what he's doing to help other athletes and their families to get to feel like they are heard and understood and make sure they get themselves checked out is really important and I just like I said at the end I really just acknowledge him for what he's doing in the sport and what him and his girlfriend are doing so if you guys have anything that is going on on the brain injury side and you have questions. Bruce said he is more than willing to talk. So I will make sure to tag his Instagram. And here you can send him a DM and reach out. He is, uh, gosh, he just seems like the most smiley guy, right? And uh, is really enjoying life and loving it, but working through some things that he hopes that nobody else has to work through. And if they do, he is there for you. He's there for everybody. So uh, mental health is real. We're here for you at Show Your Scars podcast. If you need any help, make sure you reach out to us. We are always here, as is Bruce. Thanks, Bruce, for coming on. Thanks for sharing your story. And as always, you guys, we have so many ways that we can help you. And remember, we're still doing that. If you create a review for Show Your Scars podcast, we will pick one review a week. What you have to do is take a screenshot of your review on iTunes, share it on Instagram, and tag us in your stories at Show Your Scars Podcast. And we will be reading one of those reviews every single week on the podcast to acknowledge you guys and how this podcast is helping you. So make sure you join that. And if you win, you also get a band that says Show Your Scars. So. Yeah, it's well worth it. Well worth uh, two minutes of your time, not even. Thank you guys for listening and make sure you go out there this week and show your scars with pride.